0: You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan a for the now media production.
1: So off we jolly well go again. As ever a big welcome to episode 59 of the Null and Void a sports podcast. You're number one in fact as we always say. As you would expect we have a myriad of sports stories to bring you plus a brilliant guest from the world of Pilates yoga and neuro-linguistic programming. Want to know more? Of course you do. My name's Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Listen, my weekend was preceded, and I've got a bit of a cold, yeah, uh, um, on Thursday by doing something I don't normally do. Before you say anything, Callaghan, that was playing golf in a competition. And also, I don't normally play in the rain. Guess what? Both things happened simultaneously on Thursday.
0: Oh, it bucketed it down as well. It wasn't just rain. It was, uh, there was a guy stood at the end of our street building a boat leading animals in two by two. That's how yeah. bad the weather was. <laughs> well, at
1: least it's not Sydney, because that's definitely worse. But, um, you know, I normally don't play in the rain. And the fact is, I think you could say we got, what's that expression? We got, and then I got wet through. Well, we did on a number of occasions. Hailstones at one point wind and thunder. And the only thing that didn't happen, that particular place where we were playing was actually uh, lightning, otherwise I'd have been off there. So um, I got absolutely soaked wet through and I lost my running jacket going round, which was really useful in helping me to get further wet through. So am I going to be in too many competitions? No. Uh, Am I going to play when it rains? No. So learning facts are quite high.
0: How about you then? Where did your waterproof end up, Tony? Because I think you Uh, had everyone from the tournament going around the course in the rain looking for it, didn't you?
1: Well, the only people I didn't bring in were the police. (laughs) And, and, you know, what happened was because I carry my bag, I quite like carrying it. And I took it off as it started to dry up a bit. And it was really soaking. I thought, well, there's no point putting that in the pocket. I'll put it on the top of the long tube that is your golf bag and carried on playing. And when I got to that eighth hole, was looking around for my jacket, thinking, where is it? It must have fallen off my bag. Uh, and it wouldn't have been much use, to be honest, because it was already soaking. But I hadn't got it. So when I got back, I said, could everybody look out for their jacket? And the people at the club reception had written it down and they were going to tell people. uh, And everybody was saying, I'm so sorry about your jacket. And I was saying, no, no." i playing the the sad card. And and, uh, I think it was Sunday night. I thought, one last chance. I'll, I'll empty completely the golf bag of all the clubs. And guess what? Because it was so heavy, it had gone right to the bottom of the bag. So it was the base of my bag and I couldn't see it and then it came out and it was still soaking Say, okay, say
0: so good job you checked that because leaving that in the bottom of a golf bag sopping wet another week or so it was ah. stunk like a tramp's socks.
1: But I, I then had to very apologetically tell everybody what had happened. So, uh, thank you for publicising that yet again, Yeah, my stupidity got ahead of me again. <laughs> anyway, Rugby for you, I guess,
0: Andy. Yes, yeah, Saturday was pretty much binge watching. I think the only game I didn't watch out of the um, five that were on, because it wasn't on any of the uh, um, satellite television channels without paying a fortune for it, was the Japan France game, first thing where Japan ran European champions and Grand Slam winners France within two points. So that was the game at about six o'clock in the morning. So apparently it was a cracker of a game. France have obviously left a lot of big names at home this summer, but very good to see Japan running them so, so close. Then New zealand Ireland, um, And great to see Johnny Sexton looking so miserable again because um, New Zealand absolutely walloped Ireland. England-Australia. There were only two points in it at the end. Australia winning 30 points to 28, but England scored two very late tries Um, which perfumed the pig on that performance. I think it wasn't a great second-half performance. Yet again, for the second game running, um, England couldn't win against a team that had a man sent off in the first half. So, Australian player sent off. He he got his hair pulled by the England second row. Um, Just ludicrous. that We're talking about international players pulling each other's hair. And he turned around and gave a little nudge with the head. But it is a headbutt. And he was off. So the England player got ten minutes, and the Australian player got about uh, forty-eight minutes. So, um, and England just couldn't couldn't see the job through. They were much the best team in the second half, and by far and away the second best team. They were lucky to come second in the second half. So, uh, and then from there, that disappointment, I went on to then watch Wales lose agonisingly with the very last kick of the game. And you know me, the hashtag #ABW anyone but Wales. So I was very. Very happy to see them lose in that manner. It's almost better than them being absolutely humped, is to think they've done it, think they've got a draw, got it back to 29 all. and then when the clock's red in, you know, overtime, then the South Africans have got a penalty that they've kicked to win the game. So that was very satisfying. And then in the evening, um, Argentina-Scotland, which was a good game. So some, I think both teams were looking a little bit rusty, but enjoyable game, and Argentina just edged that so uh not a great day for northern hemisphere sides the only side that won a game was the one between two northern hemisphere sides which was france and japan but uh yeah so it all goes again this weekend for the second test of three so for a lot of them this will be the deciding test for all okay. england new zealand uh sorry england ireland wales and scotland if they lose they've lost the series
1: mm. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I got a big headline, cricket. There we go again. I mean, how can you go on writing the scripts they're coming up with?
0: They've torn up the script, Idi. They've completely torn up the test cricket handbook and just said we're gonna go out there and whack it. You score 370, 380, we'll score, we'll score more. Just it was bonkers and the rate they did it. I mean, they were what overnight. I mean, they they were put into bat before tea yesterday but not long before tea and um, they were 250 odd uh chasing 378 at the close of play last night and then they rattled off that 120 in about an hour and 20 minutes this morning it's yes. just nuts roots and Bearstow yeah. both rocketed to hundreds
1: yeah i mean it, it, it's extraordinary really but it is a state of mind you know uh I, I, and i think there's a substantial change there in attitude and it's very heartening. And I've said a couple of times from a spectator's point of view, and let's face it, that's kind of important. um, They're delivering big time and they're exciting and they seem to be enjoying themselves, which is, has to be part of the battle, isn't it?
0: Yeah. If you saw the interview with Joe Root at the end of play today, the last interview he did as captain when they came home from, was it Australia or the West Indies? I can't remember. West Indies was his last game in charge, wasn't it? And he looked slumped shoulders, dejected, hangdog. He was laughing. He was joking. He was smiling. The yeah. change in attitude, the change in mentality, the change in energy levels is phenomenal. I mean, just the way they're playing. I mean, I almost get the feeling that India are now wishing that they hadn't run off at the end of that series last year to go home early for the IPL. I mean, uh, because COVID was around. Yeah, right. Um, And instead that they'd finished the series there because I think they had England on the ropes and very much heading towards a 3-1 series win. But because this test was the one that was carried over from where India abandoned the Old Trafford match on the morning of the game last year, eight months ago, what a turnaround, I think, from... 2-1 2-1 down and staring 3-1 defeat down the barrel to uh, absolutely dominating them. I mean, you've got to remember that India scored 416 in their first innings and England were 83 for five. Yeah. And everyone again thought, ah, oh, you know, we're always waiting for it. When has the basball bubble burst? Try saying that quickly. Um, and yet, <laughs> pulled it back, avoided the follow-on and then bowled them out for you know setting a lead that was again two years ago we'd have all looked at and gone no chance no way willingly get 378 in a day and a bit and yet they did it with two sessions to spare
1: yeah I think the commentary on the radio said um it was a stroll this morning a stroll They, they just they just did it didn't lose any more wickets seven wicket win and India dispatched so uh yeah, it's a substantial difference, but a really nice one. And also, at the same time, just moving to tennis. I just want to say Cameron Norrie. I want to keep saying Cameron Norrie, because as we're recording this, we've just heard he's won through to the semi-final. What was the score?
0: Um, in the end, he won 3-6, 7-5, 2-6, Six three seven five. So he was two sets to one down, and then yeah. he came back and won the last two sets, and the last one a seven five win. So absolutely phenomenal. And there, there you could see the crowds at Wimbledon were going mad, and all of them on what used to be called originally Henman Hill, then Murray Mount. I now want to rename it Norrie Knoll, and that's <laughs> with an L at the end. <laughs>
1: I think I misheard you when we were talking about yeah.
0: that. <laughs> Norrie Noll for no. um, Friday when they're uh, playing the men's semifinals.
1: So he's jo- Djokovic. Um, he's up against Djokovic and and Karen's against Kyrgios, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So all to play for, but what a brilliant thing to be able to report tonight. And Yeah. Uh, and if you, you. think
0: last, last week, our guest, tennis expert, Justin, was on talking about the fact that he thought Norrie would be the Brit that went the furthest in the tournament. Yeah, he did. Absolutely he did. Called that. Yeah, and he said one of his, he said, obviously, you can't look, you've always got to consider Djokovic in the mix. But one of the other ones he really fancied because he was playing well, as long as he didn't hit the self-destruct button, was Kyrgios. He um, so, yeah, Justin, so far. Two from two, spot on.
1: Spot on. In fact, he said uh, Beratini as well, and of course he was he, he was taken out by Coven. so mm. he couldn't do anything about that. Didn't know that at the time. Yeah. No, very good predictions, think, from Justin.
0: Uh, as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad.
1: Two out of three good. ain't bad. Absolutely right. So, uh, and obviously, we'll hear more next week uh, as we get through to the finals uh, record that but a brilliant day at Wimbledon there's some great late nights to be honest I don't think you've seen too much because you've been doing a lot of rugby but Mm. some great night uh television and obviously some big names Serena Williams uh, you know out early on and Murray as well but the youth is come that's coming through that's exciting for tennis as well yeah so good stuff uh what about Tour de France Andy what do you know yeah, it uh, started
0: on the weekend in Copenhagen with a time trial, and we're now uh, four stages in. So today was stage four, and the winner of the stage today, the Belgian, and I know Mike Butterworth has emailed about names and the way we read the names, so I'm going to uh, have a crack at this, but I'm sure he'll, uh, he- he'll enjoy my discomfort. Belgian route Van Aert is 25 <laughs> seconds clear. In the general classification in the yellow jersey after winning stage four today. And he's got his fellow Belgian Yves Lampart um, in second place. And last year's winner, Tad Tadej Podjakar. You've done me a treat with <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> in first th- place. <laughs> I think you
1: should do Tour de France all the time. I think so. Yeah, brilliant. so
0: Root Van Aert in first place, <laughs> Yves Lampart in second place and Tadej Pogacar in third place. But I think it's next week where it gets really exciting because on they get head into the Alps. And yeah. on Wednesday and Thursday, they've got back-to-back days going over the Col du Galibier, which is one of the iconic climbs of the Tour de France. So they do go over the Col on Wednesday. On Thursday, they go back over the Col du Galibier, the Col de Telegraph. They then go over the Col de la Croix de Fer, the Iron Cross mountain and then the big one which is the Alpes d'Huez which is all the switchbacks a very famous um, Tour de France one so I think and that's on Bastille day so the French will be out in force on that and the crowds on the on the hills so I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to next week I think there'll be a good couple of days in the Alps there with some iconic climbs and the great scenery that goes with it.
1: Now I, I must admit I thought i I gaze over Henley Regatta's final results on the final Sunday and I thought it would be a simple process it totally utterly confused me have you made any sense of it
0: a little bit I mean and and I will say that I had an advantage here because I actually took part in a Henley event years ago a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and when I was at my school in Oxfordshire um Everyone else went on to row at a very good level. But that year that we took part, they all then grew upwards and I stopped growing upwards and started growing outwards. So that (laughs) kind of put paid to any rowing career. But basically you've got um, 12 different open events where there's a cup for each one. You've got three intermediate events, three student events, four school events and four club events. So no wonder you couldn't, Make head or tail of it, Tony, because that's 26 winners in total. But in the Open event, you've got the two, I think, of the two biggest ones, the Blue Ribband events, which is the Men's 8, which is the Grand Challenge Cup, and the Women's 8, which is the Remenum Challenge Cup. And then the Intermediate event is an interesting one. It's a men's race, but it's called the Ladies' Challenge Plate. Right, so okay, just, just to confuse everyone, what it was was a Challenge Plate that was presented by the ladies and wives at Henley long time ago, and it's kept its name. So, uh, uh, And then the one I took part in years ago is the Princess Elizabeth Cup, which is the school's challenge for the eight. So you've got eights, you've got fours, you've got pairs, you've got singles, you've got quads, all of that going on. So, yeah, no wonder it was difficult. You've got overall 26 different winners in 26 different events.
1: OK, dear listener, I hope you've got all that. <laughs> yeah, make notes, it.
0: there'll be a test <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, F1 and Silverstone, obviously, you've got all these big events, Wimbledon, uh, uh, Henley Regatta, F1 happens at the same time. An interesting uh, new winner there, really. <clears throat> he's only 22 years old, uh, Carlos Sainz. And and he's actually the number two Ferrari driver, as I understand it, and Leclerc number one. So. I don't know if Lecaut was pleased about that or not, but he seems to be one for the future.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I- interesting event. And and what I didn't realise, I was told by uh, my mum and brother that it's actually the biggest live spectator sporting event in the UK because it goes over three or four days and they get so many crowd in each day. You've All right. the, the biggest number of spectators at a live event because you've got all the practice and qualifying rounds and then the race on the day and there's F2 and different events throughout the weekend. So, yeah, they get hundreds of thousands in on that one.
1: Okay, uh, golf next, uh, and that's coming up, all these big events um, at St. Andrews. It's 150th, so it's very special, open, uh, and that's the 14th to the 17th of July. So there's great excitement ahead of the event, there always is including the LIV-Saudi controversy rumbling on. Um, we'll hope over this next week to get more detail on that, on a real insight into what happens during the course of the event. Mm. Okay, next up, I've got Euros under-19s. we won a European competition. Our men's have done that and under-19s. Yeah, at long last, a tournament win for England's under-19s men's team. They last did it in 2017, in fairness. Uh, they overcame those well-known Europeans, Israel, in extra time after Israel had led at half time. They last won this trophy, as I say, 2017, with players like Aaron Ramsdale and Mason Mount in the team at that time. So it is important that they get success, these teams, because they're the, the future going forward. Winning goals came from Villa players, uh, Carney. Chukamenka and Aaron Ramsey, not that one, a younger one. I was about to uh, say. Well, yeah, 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 but a, a Villa player as well. Uh, well, hopefully that bodes well for the World Cup in Qatar at Christmas. I still can't get my head round saying that. <laughs> Women's Euro, though, which is coming up literally as we record on a Tuesday, on a on Wednesday, the sixth of July. Uh, to the 31st of July, the European Champions uh, Trophy is being played for here. So we've got home advantage, and by the time this podcast is aired, England will have played that first game against Austria at Old Trafford, and in front of a sellout out crowd. Group games take place between now and the 18th of July, quarterfinals 20th to 23rd, semis 26th to 27th, and the final 31st at Wembley. Already, the advanced ticket sales are excellent. But what chance have the Lionesses? Well, Serena Wademan, uh, her side, are one of the favourites after a long unbeaten run of 14 games. Equally, Spain, Norway, Germany and Holder's Netherlands will push them all the way. England's fixtures, just concentrating on them tonight, uh, in the group are Austria, Norway and Northern Ireland. Manchester City attacker Lauren Hemp, Arsenal defender Lee Williamson and Chelsea double-winning defender Millie Bright and striker Ellie White are players to watch for for England. They've got something about them, and I, I think the fact it's on terrestrial TV will introduce women's football to an awful lot of people, and I wish them well. And the other thing that when it was played in the Netherlands, Netherlands won on their own territory – that's the opportunity we've got for the crowds really to get behind the team. Mm. And I think shout for the Lionesses because they've got the talent and I think with a bit of encouragement, we just might
0: be there. And it, it's not just the starting 11, you know, that with the Lionesses. I watched their most recent two games. So where they beat, um, was it Belgium 5-1 and then they beat Switzerland last week 3-0. Uh, 4-0, in fact, with a very late goal. And it's almost every change that Serena Begman makes strengthens the side. I mean, she had two very good wingers on in the first half in Switzerland um, end of last week. And then she took those off and put on two new wingers. And Kelly, I mean, it, it was it was like watching sort of teams teams haven't played with great wing pace down the wing and people banging in good crosses from the corner for a number of years now and watching that it was it was fantastic to watch and England probably the goalkeepers stopped them getting an absolute hatful and just watching them play there's a real joy to it there's a, a clinicalness about it it's you know quite often England teams men's and women's will you know we're a couple of goals up we'll sit back we'll let our foot off the throat. This team keep going. They keep going for it. The lioness is the one that in the pack is the hunter and is the one that's the most deadly. Definitely these lionesses have got that killer instinct.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that, uh, funnily enough, talking about cricket as we are earlier, there are similarities in terms of the change of style and effort. So uh, well done to them. I should be watching out for them, and I'm really looking forward to the competition. Yeah. Uh, Contact Sunday, um, Mike Butterworth. And he, Mike says, usually the highlights of Null and Void podcast on a weekly basis is the two grumpy old men on Get a Grip. <laughs> this Thanks, week, Mike. Uh, Yeah, yeah, cheers, Mike. Uh, this week, that was chumped by Tony navigating his way through that's when we're <laughs> it, the list of Hollyoaks stars due to play in the charity football match at Macclesfield. Oh, very funny, Mike. Very, very funny. Yeah, it was actually one of those where you think, why did I start it? But well, I did. Start well, it our, so listeners couldn't,
0: our listeners can't see it. I can because we have the video <laughs> running when we record this. And the look on Tony's face is one of those, every name that went on, it was like this, I really shouldn't have started this. And the look got more and more. So I'm like, why on earth did I do this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, moving on. Mike did also add that he was delighted to hear that uh, Jason McKinley and his colleagues were all safe after their boat capsized during their round Britain coastal row. I don't think when Mike wrote that he knew that uh, just uh, uh, Jason was actually going to be uh, carrying on.
0: Nutters, yeah, they they've uh, you know they, they got picked up by the coastguard, and 48 hours later they were back out there again taking it on, so absolutely fair play to them, but utter matters as
1: well. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping, they don't know technically whether it's possible or not, to make contact uh, uh, with uh, Jason at some stage before the completion. But anyway, mm-hmm. brave lads and well done, doing some great work there. Now, another contact from Rosemary Conabere. Rosemary picked up on the fact that we are now reaching 21 different countries, with null and void on a weekly basis. Rosemary says, this is, she was saying, I'm, on, I'm in holiday in Lanzarote and I am listening. So does that make 22 countries for null and void? That sounded very regal to me. It was like she was saying, I hereby decree that Lanzarote is now part of the null and void empire. Thank you very much, Rosemary. We'll we'll take it on board. We don't mind. Yeah, Lanzarote. Why not? Uh,
0: well, have that yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure. It's the, it's the Canary <laughs> Islands, isn't it? So is that under Spanish rule, but just off the coast of North Africa, sort of up, well, up the road from Morocco. And the, oh, yeah, uh, it, it's
1: some something like that. But anyway, because Rosemary has been out there talent spotting for us i think we'll take it yeah Yeah. definitely yeah Yeah. what what the hell okay so thank you rosemary for that lovely to hear from you i'm glad you had a good holiday um now um most people will know simon cowler by now in in name he's the guy suffering with multiple myeloma The, the first of the charity games was at macclesfield this last weekend and simon had planned to be there after a couple of weeks away and it's sods law, really, um, he and his wife, when they got back, tested pos- positive for COVID. Oh, nice. And it was one of the worst things that could happen to Simon because he's on his way to s- stem cell uh, uh, surgery in-, in coming weeks. So he wasn't able to go to the game. His mate, John Bertwistle, who has engineered and put together the whole thing, did a brilliant job. And in fact, in fairness to mention a radio station, Silk FM, who are a proper local radio station in Macclesfield. Uh, we're speaking live to John during the game on a regular occasion. I'll just read what John said. Uh, the match was covered by Silk FM sport presenter Mike Wayne, who was incredibly supportive and gave regular live updates on air. It was an incredibly high-scoring game and finished 6-2 in favour of the ex-professional team. The Holyoaks Hol- Holy team, who I won't name, uh, had plenty of shots on goal and were unlucky not to score more than two. Michael Brown, ex-pro, managed to score two goals. and Gary Corwell played in defense for 90 minutes, which is incredible considering he's had bilateral total hip replacements. Wow. We sold nearly 300 tickets and raised an estimated 12,000 pounds for Myeloma UK, which was very moving and far beyond our expectations. We received an incredible, one of the donations, 5,000 pounds from Matt Moulding from the Hutt Group, who who, um, also, as a result, his two sons, Max and Charlie played uh, with him in the game. So that was their reward and a brilliant donation that was. So that's been a great boost for Simon, who's been through chemotherapy and is about to have bone marrow transplant. I'd like to thank everybody involved, says John, uh, especially Rob Smethurst, owner of the club and for the use of the uh, stadium. Macclesfield and Ashley Taylor-Dawson and Nick Picard. easier to say, from Hollyoaks. Who,
0: who so, are the other ones from Hollyoaks,
1: Tony? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we're a bit tight for time. We need to move on. Uh, yeah, top man, John. What a brilliant friend you've been to Simon there. And to Simon... Well done in everything you've done and your participation in that, and get well soon, mate. I'm sure we'll hear from you about the September tournament coming up. So that's a nice note to 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 leave on. Yeah, on that.
0: fantastic news. Twelve thousand pounds is a, a, an absolutely brilliant achievement to raise that sort of money for the charity and to raise awareness as well of what is uh, a lesser known type of uh, cancer. So yeah, I think you know to to be doing that raising awareness raising that sort of money really well done to simon to john to macrosfield and to the Hollyoaks lads and lasses who turned out to support this
1: yeah it's a, it's a good one we'll keep you informed on how things are progressing and indeed simon's health as well okay what about get a grip mate i think it's your turn to have a go
0: It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we touched on the F1 racing this week, but there's a number of candidates for get a grip over the course of the week of the British Grand Prix. I mean, you started off with everything coming out about Nelson Piquet and his um, idiotic comments from a couple of years ago, but they seem to have resurfaced this week. But I'm going to start with actually someone who was the subject of his um, comments and start with, having a go at Lewis Hamilton. Um, He turned up to Silverstone this week in an outfit that was bright yellow and pink, Jacquard diamonds, like a Harlequin outfit. And I don't mean the rugby team either. Um, A jester, or as some might say, a clown. And that's very much what he was acting like through the weekend, not in terms of just his driving, but all the griping that has gone on from Hamilton Over a number of months now, particularly to criticizing his team about the car, having a go at the fans, having a go about the jewelry that he can and can't wear and from places that are unmentionable that it needs to be removed and all sorts of things. And the protesters that were there this week, just get on with driving, Lewis. You know, you looked like a clown in your outfit. You've driven like a clown and you're starting to sound like a clown, in my opinion. So have a word with yourself. And as we would say, get a grip. (laughs) He was then trumped this week by Bernie Eccleston. Good old Bernie. Yeah, good old Bernie. He's 91 years of age. Uh, Bernie Eccleston this week was being asked about what was going on in world events. And he basically said that he would take a bullet for his mate Putin, Vlad the Invader. So the guy that is caused displacement of people, deaths and suffering in Ukraine. Bernie's prepared to take a bullet for him and called him a sensible guy and a first class person. Mm. Absolute lunacy. He's criticised the Ukraine Premier Zelensky for not talking to Putin and saying that Zelensky was a comedian, that that's maybe what he should have stuck to and that actually that Putin has done no wrong. So Bernie is sticking up for his mate Vlad the invader. And you just look at it and think, Bernie, you were a good leader of F1. You're no longer relevant because it's been run by other people. Why are you coming up with such idiotic comments that are bound to cause fury and annoyance from fans and supporters around the world when they're seeing what's going on in Ukraine? So I would like to say to... Hamilton, the Harlequin or Hamilton, the clown, depending on which way you would look at it. And Bernie, the fool and the human bodyguard, he said he's going to take a bullet for Putin. Well, we're providing you with a serve here, Bernie, if not a (laughs) bullet to say you can take this one for your mate Vlad and uh, for both of them, get a
1: grip. Well said, Bernie Eccleston. What a prat. Well said, mate. Okay, let's lift the move, shall we? Yeah, should we go to our first guest, Tony? Good idea. I'm delighted to introduce our guest to you tonight from the world of Pilates, yoga and neuro linguistic programming. <laughs> Lindsay Jackson has been involved in all of these areas over many years. So the term expert certainly springs to mind here. As Pilates and yoga have become more mainstream, Lindsay has expanded her business massively. Lindsay, welcome to Null and Void. How are you doing?
2: Thank you very much. I'm really well today, thank you.
1: Yeah, and apart from being very busy, you're going all right, are you?
2: Yep, all is well. <laughs> Fit, healthy, happy.
1: Fantastic. All right, no can ask for more.
2: No.
0: <laughs>
1: now, your, your background was initially working in the NHS. What exactly did you do there?
2: Well, I went from being a student union president and applied to do the general management training scheme. So I spent two years on a fast track training scheme in the NHS. Uh, very passionate about health very passionate about people being well and spent quite a few years going you said warwick university earlier when we were speaking i spent quite a bit of time at warwick at the management business school yeah um anyway so i yeah did a two-year training scheme and then worked in the nhs quite a few years
1: right Okay. So what led you in the direction we now can say you're an expert and I've been involved in, in a number of years now in Pilates and yoga in particular? We'll come on to the other things later.
2: Well, um, the first thing I'd like to say is that I don't class myself as an expert. I don't mind you saying that because I know <laughs> a lot about it, but I once did some consultancy work for BT. And there was a fabulous woman on the course who said to me, "Well, you know what an expert is, don't you?" And I said, "No." And she said, "Ex, thing of the past. Spurt, <laughs> drip under pressure." <laughs> <laughs> and that really stuck me, stuck with me. I don't want to be a thing of the past or a drip under pressure. So, and I also one of my key values is learning. So I would never say I'm an expert because I think there is so much to learn in the world that you never get to the end of it, and I'm curious to know more. However, I have ended up, I suppose, spending a lot of my time and my learning in one field. So in that Mm. sense, I'm immersed in it. Yes.
0: (laughs) So what was it took you into that field of Pilates and yoga then, Lindsay?
2: Um, Well, while I was on the management training scheme, I was into my fitness anyway. I was going to aerobic classes and body tone classes as a young person in my 20s. so I loved keeping fit and keeping well. And then one day the teacher was off sick. And back in the day, you didn't need to be qualified. And I said, oh, I've got a ghetto blaster. Do you remember those things? <laughs> <laughs> you carry them on your shoulder. <sighs> and uh, I said, I'm sure, we, I'm sure we can pull this off. So I went and got my ghetto blaster and stood at the front of the room. And I said, I'm sure she does something like this. And then we do a bit of that and a bit of the other. And, and I actually taught a class, um, which was hilarious and great fun. Uh, And I then went on when I was in the NHS to do it as a bit of a hobby and to teach some of the staff in the hospital where I worked. Um, And then really, as I moved through my NHS career, I started to feel like I was probably at the wrong end of the telescope. The health service is about managing sickness. (laughs) And I wanted to promote health. Mm. And health promotion in the NHS, in my view, hasn't got any teeth. It's not funded, it's not encouraged, it's not really a very viable
0: government-supported topic. So it's more um, about fixing the problem yeah, when really it arises. Yeah, I'd
2: put the horse in front of the car, mm. really. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, I kind of got into fitness as a hobby. I started to teach aerobics, step, body tone, circuit training, all of those things, just in my spare time while I was working. Then I went on a training course and learned about yoga and Pilates, qualified in both of those. So I was kind of just acquiring qualifications and knowledge and applying it in teaching. And then I left the NHS to do consultancy work and that allowed me to change the balance of what I did and to do a mixture of training and consultancy, mm-hmm. but then teaching and fitness and, and exercise. So it's funny because when I was younger growing up, I saw my mum as an English teacher working flat out, ridiculous hours, huge amounts of marking and I swore blind I'd never be. A teacher. <laughs> I ended up training adults in the consultancy training room and
0: teaching people fitness. <laughs> that sounds very familiar to my path. My mum was also a teacher up until she retired. Um, and again, everyone said to me, "You'll become a teacher." You know, you've got that about right? it. No, no, never going to do it. Doesn't pay well enough. Too much hard work. Not enough. Uh, not not enough hours to do it. And yeah, lo and behold, I've ended up in a very similar role to yourself, working as a training consultant, teaching adults, and then in my spare time, coaching rugby as well. Hey. So, yeah, so uh, very much the same. It's sort of as, as as much as we think our paths aren't predestined. May, maybe they are. <laughs> maybe they are. Maybe
2: they
1: are. So if if somebody says, I mean, I'm I'm saying, Lindsay's here tonight, Pilates, yoga, uh, but but they've never actually gone down that path. How would you describe a sort of entry point? Why, why would somebody do uh, uh, um, Pilates and or yoga? What, what are the major benefits that you would say straight away people should be looking to achieve?
2: I think if you're serious about your sport, then you know it's more than just a physical thing. It's a mental thing it's a discipline, it's a mindset thing, it's a holistic approach. So people conventionally over the years, I suppose, have become, if you're a keen sports person, you've become more interested in eating well, in sleeping well, in training well, all of those things to improve your performance. But I think yoga slash Pilates offer um, a mind-body-spirit, the triad approach which helps with concentration helps with the ability to receive feedback from your body and become more intuitive helps Mm. you to flow helps you to stretch and reach for things helps you to be more pliable malleable fluid i mean tennis god look at them on the tennis court That's not just about technique and hitting the ball, is it? That's a lot of mindset. That's a lot of reach. That's a lot of stretch. That's a lot about the body being able to dynamically go for something and recover and center itself and go for something and recover and center itself. And that is a habit. That's practice. And both yoga and Pilates give you that. They give you at a slower pace. They give you that connection with your mind, your body, your breath. And a kind of a in a spiritual way, I suppose, a mind-body-spirit way, give you the willingness and the ability to receive feedback from yourself so that you can be more intuitive
1: mm. in your sport. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very really interesting insight. And, and the, the, the fact is that I guess, because I think I read somewhere what you were saying, I got I brought Pilates out of London up to Yorkshire. Did you at that time, that was 25 years or more ago, um, did you meet resistance to what you were trying to do then? I imagine you did.
2: Yes, I I don't think I perceived it as resistance. I was a sort of a happy bunny bouncing around telling people about it. (laughs) But there was a, so I didn't see it as a negative thing, but there was a huge amount of education required. The physios didn't know what it was. The chiropractors didn't know what it was. You know the osteopaths didn't know what it was the gps didn't know what it was so i just kind of set off and 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 did some classes i started actually teaching in a leisure center because i was already teaching body tone and step and aerobics and i kind of said can i come and teach and i set up some classes in the leisure center to cut my teeth if you like and to to bed my skills in and then i thought this is crazy because they were paying me like six pound fifty a class same as you would for not much yeah yeah exactly for a fitness class and I'd spent loads of money on my training and I thought no we need to be a bit more serious about this so I took it out into village halls and um people came with me and I went oh there's something in it
0: <laughs> brilliant because I mean I think all three of us have lived up in Yorkshire and we know that the good folk of Yorkshire are not always the most uh open to newfangled ideas from down in London.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and actually it took me a long time to get men into it. So um, a lot of females were coming to the classes. They were feeling the benefits. I mean, huge results, really. And um, the women were saying to me, my husband should do this. And I was thinking, what do we do about it then? So I put on a free class and I said, right, send your husbands (laughs) (laughs) or your partners (laughs) So the men were sent along. They then stayed with me for many years, and I taught them as a separate thing, a separate entity, which actually required different teaching skills, which was quite interesting. And then as they became more confident, they were willing to step into other classes and quite happily be alongside other people. Mm. But it took them a little while to adjust.
1: What, What were those different skills that were required for the men?
2: Well... Um, I might be generalizing here and forgive me, I don't mean to be sexist in any way. Um, Women generally aren't that competitive. I mean, generally, you know, we might be some of us type A personalities. We want to go, go, go. We want to make stuff happen in the world. But when you're doing Pilates and yoga, you're on a mat, you're in your zone, you're in your body on your mat, and you're not really looking around to see what anybody else is doing and you don't care too much. That's a a generalization I know because that doesn't apply to everybody, but that's broadly it. With men, two things in my experience. One is that they're all looking around the room to see what the other blokes are doing. (laughs) And the second thing is that they want the hardest move until you show them that that's not terribly good technique. And then you peel it back. So whereas women are happy to start at the bottom of the mountain and climb it, men want to go to the summit. Then I show them that maybe the technique isn't particularly spot on. And get them to feel into their bodies and place themselves more precisely, and then they go, "Oh, okay." <laughs> then they're willing to come back or step or two and move towards it. But I have to give them a long lead, a long rein, you know, like a horse. Let, let let the horse have its head. <laughs> you have to you have to let them try it uh, for them to wake up and go, mm, "Okay."
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, a sort of um, quite a an interesting development for you, but it but it took some time to get to the point you're now describing, yeah?
2: It took, I mean, looking back, it probably took a good five to ten years to get right. men even wow. sniffing at it. Man, that was 25 yeah. years ago. Um, yeah, but then I've been running a men's class for probably 15 years until COVID, and now the men just mingling with the women. Mm.
0: Do you think it would be different, Lindsay, if you were starting now? Has... Has the world changed enough that you probably wouldn't face that same challenge and lead in time?
2: No, you wouldn't. Because if you go, if you've, anybody's got an injury, a sports person's got an injury, and they go to a physio or chiropractor, they'll say, You need to improve your core. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you need yeah. to
2: improve your core. Or you need to alter your posture. Or you need to open out your shoulders. Or you need to balance your body. So it's kind of Pilates, Pilates, Pilates. So GPs refer to me, physios, osteopaths, chiropractors refer to me. Um, The long-standing patients that they kind of almost can't get rid of, the ones that come back for maintenance, come to Pilates and then they don't need to go back to the chiropractor. Generally, Mm. that's what seems to happen. Mm. Um, So um, I suppose chiropractors that are happy to to refer do that and then it it solves the problem. You get to the root cause of the issue, really. Um, I think the other thing is that more chaps are doing Pilates and yoga, particularly Pilates. So, you know, you look at somebody like Tiger Woods, you know look at look at key people and sports people even um hamilton lewis hamilton you know these guys know that moving your spine in all directions having the ability to focus being having, having the fascial release which is a you know a new thing that's happening in the last two or three years really awareness about fascia as opposed to just skeleton and muscle um that's now commonplace football teams do pilates you know it's kind of Yeah. Yeah. So I think men now are far more open to it. I mean, I must sound terribly sexist, but 25 years ago, it just wasn't happening.
1: (laughs) No, no, that's a a fair comment. I totally understand that. Now, you mentioned before about COVID, and and that clearly was a smack in the face for lots of people. How did you adapt? Because all of a sudden, how are you going to those those face-to-face classes? Did you were you already part way down that line with, with virtual stuff or did you have to really reconfigure?
2: Um no, I wasn't down that line at all with virtual stuff. I mean I'm fairly adept at doing things on the internet and what have you. So within 48 hours I was on Facebook with a Facebook group, my class members were on it, and I was able to teach live classes on Facebook. Um we hadn't quite got the Zoom sorted, so it wasn't interactive, it was just I'm here, it's your normal Wednesday morning class, here we go. And I yeah. taught it to the computer as if they were, as if I could see them. And most of my class members have been with me 10, 20 years. So I know their bodies. And so I could even say, without seeing them, I could say, Sally, get your left shoulder down.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mark, tuck your tail down a little, you know. It, yeah, so it's yeah. quite amusing.
0: That's when they're checking the eye going, Has She got a camera on
2: the hardest part really was onboarding people to both Zoom. Eventually I moved on to Zoom because I wanted it to be interactive. Um, but a lot of people that have been with me are in their 60s, 70s and even 80s. So for them to learn the technology and come onto Facebook or come onto Zoom has been, gosh, I've been like an IT consultant.
1: <laughs> so there was big resistance or just totally unable to get their heads around what was required?
2: Uh, some were on it straight away some couldn't get their heads around it and I had to phone individuals and help them and guide them and on the phone I'd be saying click this button do that oh look you can see me you know so there was a lot of hand holding
0: (coughs) um I mean we've had a few like that with some of our some of our guests and yeah is if people have not used it once they get the hang of it it's fine but Yeah. yeah when people are getting used to it certainly you know yeah guests and also I use it a lot in my in my training, in my work role. And yeah, you know, you've got people that get it. You've got people that will make a comment, not realizing that they're not on mute and all those sort of great things. <laughs> yeah.
2: And actually what's interesting as a teacher is that I've, I've had to set up one room from, I'm still doing a little bit online, but I'm also doing face-to-face again, but I had to get a TV screen. I had to get people projected so I could see them. And then as a teacher, I mean, we, we learn this in NLP, but being in peripheral vision, you can see everything. So, in a room, I could be looking straight at somebody, but I would be able to see in my peripheral vision that they were moving or standing differently, or they'd turned their foot out, or that some, their shoulders had changed, whatever. Mm. On a screen, you haven't got the same peripheral vision. You've got to more specifically look at a face or a body. So, mm. teaching on a screen for me was like, whoa, this is a whole new ball game.
0: And, and I guess the challenge being some people have got it set up like we're all now, I know our listeners w- uh, will not be able to see this, but we're all sat on chairs and we've sort of got our head and shoulders in a screen. There will be people doing that as you're asking them to do something. Yeah, They're moving their body in a
1: different way off screen. It's trying yes, to work and out. Saying,
2: Can you tip uh, your screen down? I need yeah. to see.
1: Your feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so, so you are the kind of transferable skills. You say now you're going back to face to face mainly, but have you learned stuff from the online that you're able to transfer back into face-to-face? Because we have mm-hmm. we have a friend of null uh, Nolan Void called John Peacock, who's also a Pilates yoga tutor. And he was saying that he actually he and nobody else had said this, so I'll be interested in your view on it. He said with um, virtual that he'd actually got to know more about people who he'd known pretty well before mm. with virtual in the sense that he would always set the class up early and he would be listening to the conversations. And he said there was more interaction than there would have been face to face. Is that a valid thing? I mean, certainly it was valid for him. But how, how, how do you relate to that?
2: some extent I mean I I allow a bit of chit chat before and after anyway and a a lot of the people have been coming for a lot of years what was interesting of course was seeing people in their own home environment and being able to say oh I like you this (laughs) kitchen
1: Kitchen everything Um, yeah (laughs) yeah, and
2: then they get interrupted by the dog coming in or the children or the whatever so you know you could have a bit of humor with it which was lovely um yeah, I think I think there is an art to being in both places actually, and um, I'm very relaxed about it. People do what they have to do, don't they? And I,
1: mm. yeah, and, and no, I think it's an interesting development because I, mm. I said to that particular person who did an aqua class, John, I watched him uh, many years ago now for the first time, and I was saying, and this was before any of all of this, I said, to him, you know, doing what you're doing with aqua because you're quite active on the side there you know, what you could really do with is not being here and do it from a distance. And I didn't know what I was talking about then, but it, I said because of wear and tear on the joints. And that, obviously, to a certain extent, that's come to fruition in, in lots of ways. And I guess also the distance thing as well, where people aren't local to you, you've still got that ability to say, yeah, well, I'll talk to you online, we'll go on Zoom and we'll do a specific yeah, thing yeah. on your stretching it, whatever it is, Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes, very much so. Well, it's interesting because a, a little while ago, we went to see the new ABBA concert, um, you know, with the yeah. kind of avatars yep. or whatever mm. you want to call it, the holograms. Well, if that's the way technology is going, then <laughs> we, we don't need anything, really, we just- see, I,
0: think, I think they missed a trick there. They haven't called them avatars. That yes. would have been the one to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, we always say it here, it, it, technology is wonderful until it goes wrong but the reality Mm. is the advances do give you the opportunity the very thing we are doing here give you an opportunity whereas saying well you have to be at the studio at seven o'clock well no you don't you find a room at home and, and talk to us and I think there's so many things that have been to the advantage but equally you know getting back face to face seeing those faces and having that exchange must also be very gratifying I imagine as a tutor.
2: I, th- I think for me, um, you can't, and this isn't just about teaching Pilates, this is about life. You can't be being with people. for yeah. Picking up on the body language and the facial expressions and the, the flickers of the eyes and the energy that somebody's putting across, the mood that they might be in that you pick up from body language. And even as a teacher, being hands on and being like I've taught a class today in a corporate setting. and and we were in a room with six or seven staff and I was able to kind of adjust people. Pilates and yoga can be quite hands-on to give people the kinesthetic feedback. It's all very well being visual and being auditory. But, you know, I have to, I've had to teach and say, imagine my hand is on the back of your pelvis or imagine my hand is on me or, you know, so that they're having to imagine the kinesthetic because I can't do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that
2: works, but, I think we're human creatures, we're animals, we need to be around people.
1: Yeah, one of the things you're straying into there, and Andy is a practitioner as well in NLP, is, I said before, neuro-linguistic programming. For our dear listener, can you explain that in simple terms?
2: (laughs) Andy's laughing. This will be fun. (laughs) Explain that in simple
1: terms. There's no, of course.
0: but Yeah, yeah, uh, I'll pass that ball to you, Lindsay. uh,
2: I'll try and catch it. Neuro-linguistic program is very long, fancy words, isn't it, for the way we're wired.
1: Yeah. The
2: way we come across and the things that we attract to us in our lives is really based on our programming. Now, programming sounds very scientific and deliberate, but actually, if you think our childhood, our subconscious imprints that are happening when, in our early days, um, the language that family, friends, teachers use around us, creates programs in our minds, and those show up in the way we then use our language. So if somebody says to you, oh, I'll never be able to do that, then that's just a belief, and a belief is just a repeated thought. So that repeated thought has come from somewhere, And it's probably come from someone age four where a teacher said to them, you'll never be able to do that. (laughs) And they believed it because between the ages of naught and seven, we're very impressionable and we don't have so much conscious ability to override things. So it's like opening a flip top lid. You open the brain up and then stuff gets poured in. And that stuff that's influencing you and influencing the way you're programmed, the way your neurology works is at a subconscious level. So NLP is about starting to recognize in yourself and in others. What your limitations are, they tend to show up in the way we language ourselves, the way we speak. And that reveals a lot. But the good news is it can be rewired.
0: Yeah, I, I like your, your analogy there of sort of opening up, opening up the lid. I, I've heard it described as NLP is like if you think of your brain as a, a loft or, a, you know, an attic that has become really cluttered. It's a way of helping tidy it up a bit into so you can actually find things that you need when you need them rather than it being, oh, what's that that's just turned up there or where's that thing that's gone to the deepest, darkest, dustiest corner of my brain um, when I actually needed it? So yeah, I like, I like that analogy of opening up the lid and rearranging all the junk.
2: Yeah, because you know we don't we don't know what we believe when we're kids and when we're little and even when we're in the womb. <laughs> and some people yes. would argue even before that so we don't know what we believe but it's later on we kind of realize what our values are and what our beliefs are and then you start to think yeah but why do i why do i feel resistance around something why do i think i'm rubbish at such and such a topic or you know if you're a sports person why do i think i can't do x y and z why is it that when i get out into a match or i get out into a game or a competition the gremlins come out and I start to doubt myself well that's just your subconscious programming that's okay (laughs) we can rewire that (laughs) Um, so
1: from a a practical point of view in your classes all um, of that massive knowledge that you've got how can you apply that how do you apply that on a a kind of day-to-day basis
2: yeah great question um all the time probably without realizing it so A lot of my language patterns will be around the notion of possibility. So I'll say, imagine you could do X, Y, and Z. What would happen if you did now hold your body this way, move that way? When you think about it now, if you were to believe that it was possible, what would you do differently? Right. And people go, you can see them at first going, Uh,
1: (laughs) because the brain's
2: going, try it on for size, try it on for size. I don't have these neurological connections. What does she mean? It might be be possible. It might be possible. So the brain has to search for possibility, has to create a new pathway, which is, oh, well, if I imagine that, then what? So language to do with cause and effect. If this, then that. Mm -hmm. So rather than hitting people head on when they say, I can't do planks or my wrists hurt, I'll never be able to do that. Then I can say, well, as you begin to feel stronger now and notice that your body is changing over time, I wonder how it might be different for you in a couple of days time or a couple of weeks time or a couple of months time and their brain goes, oh, well, as I think about it, maybe, it, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. The language of possibility is a big one, but also going back to what I was saying in the way I teach because I'm encouraging people to use visual, auditory, kinesthetic and AD language, digital language, so some people think in pictures more. We all think in all of those, don't we? But some people think in pictures more. And in in Pilates, we use a lot of visualization about how you're placing your body. People also think in sounds. So bizarrely, I'll say things like, as you exhale, allow your muscles to go, ah, because for the auditory people, their muscles will go, ah, And that means something to them. Others Mm. will be thinking, what is she on about? But for an auditory person, that will have meaning. Kinesthetic people, you know, how would it feel in your body if? Notice what it feels like when you're lifting your pelvic floor and scooping your tummy under your diaphragm and it becomes hollow like a whippet, you know, and people are going, oh, feel that. So um, kinesthetic language. And then for the digital people who are primarily what's called auditory digital in NLP terms, um, giving them a process. First of all, I want you to do this, second, that, third, that, fourth, the
0: other. Yeah, they like a, a flow like or something, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. That they can, process they can follow yeah. through. Yeah. And and I think it's uh, I mean, the great thing, and obviously you're you all know Lindsay, the the trick and the knack of being a good teacher is almost a bit like a chef with um uh spices and herbs in a recipe is about sprinkling a little bit of each of those in so that everyone gets what they need. To really um, for them to look into, tune into and feel how it how it will work for them.
2: Exactly so. And also establishing rapport so that people feel safe in your environment. Mm. So when people come to class, I might have a rough idea of what I'm going to be teaching, but I'm assessing the energy in the room, the body language in front of me, the facial expressions, the tones of voice. And I'll say, what do you need? How are you feeling, guys? What do you need? Tell me. Mm. You know, and, we, and, and they might say, oh, this, that and the other. And sometimes my job is to lift their energy up and some t- you know, drag it up from the floor. <laughs> and so I get into rapport. It's called matching and mirroring in NLP terms. So if, some, if a group or a class member or a person comes in and their energy's down here and it's flat as a pancake, I can't be like Duracell bunny because it's a mismatch of rapport. It'll be like, oh, she's really getting on my nerves today. So I have to slow myself down. It's called matching them. Then I pace and I gradually, I change my language, my tone of voice, my speed, slow it down, let them feel the tiredness, let them have that possibility that maybe we could raise our game. And then as we move up, I'll pick my pace up, my voice up and and they'll come with me because you've got rapport first so you can lead them to a place where they can pull it out their back, really.
0: So at that point, you both like Tigger rather than when they walked in, the risk of you being Tigger and them being Eeyore. Yeah,
2: and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, the, or the other way. They, yeah. They're too high and they actually need to calm down. So there was a guy in class this morning. And it's funny because uh, you, you can spot people like this a mile away if they're a bit type A personality. It's a work environment. I've gone to do a corporate class. He'd come to class. His brain was going, dig, 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 dig. I could see it. It was bouncing out of him. It was too much going on. So I I sort of laughed a little bit and I worked at a higher pace and then I slowed him down, slowed Mm -hmm. his breathing down and brought him down to a place where he could actually get something out
1: of it fast now. Yeah. I I think uh, I'm very mindful of the fact you've got a class to go to very shortly or the very things you've been talking about, you've got to be putting into practice. But from a practical point of view, I know you've got website and you've got connections Please tell us how people, if they wish to do so, could get hold of you. And if there's anything specific that you could give them as a sort of target to think about or otherwise that is happening for you at the moment. Give us the connections.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, Well, probably the easiest thing is to go to the website, which is www.enhancewellbeing.ltd. And that's not enhanced past tense with a D on it, it's enhanced well-being. So there's no D in the middle. Ltd. Or they could email me on lj.healthylife at virginmedia.com. So just lj.healthylife at virginmedia.com. Um on the website you'll see all the things I do. So site KNLP, you'll see a Pilates button, you'll see uh, Mike's Massage, various other things, because we work in partnership. Um, And so if you click on the Pilates button, you will have access to my booking system, which is on a a platform called Gymcatch. So if you find, if you click on that, then you you can follow my Pilates uh, booking site, if you like, um, register, and then just have a little look. There's a few free classes. There's a couple of relaxations um, in there as well that you can have for free and just have a little mooch around. There's a whole on-demand library So if people want to try a class, it's only £3.50 a pop. So they can just try a class and see if they like it. And then after that, they can have as many as they want for £10 a month. But two particular things that might be of interest. um, One is in the lockdown period, I did various trainings. I did bar pilates training, which was interesting and and really enjoyable. But I also learned about using a hog, which is like a foam roller, but it's a sort of semicircle and it's got toblerone sized prickles on one side and then flat on the other. And you can imagine like a foam roller, you can use it for massage, you can use it for fascial release. But if you turn it over with the wobbly side down and the flat side on the top, you can use it for really good core work, proprioceptive work, strength training. And it really adds fun, but also some if you're talking to, you know, obviously you your followers will be sports people, so they're already going to be fairly strong, fairly fit but they might like the edge. They might like something that gives them a bit more. And the hog is that it's really, really
0: um, useful. kind of like a wobble board, Lindsay. The same yeah, like of a wobble board, but yeah. less. But- because
2: a wobble board is air, it's a bit yeah. more wobbly. This is kind of rocking left, right. It's like a dish shape. Mm. And you can stand on it where your, your foot is in one direction where it rocks left, right. Or you can stand on the other way around and it rocks forwards back like an accelerator pedal. Mm. Um, and then you can sit on it, lie on it, whatever. I've got some hog recordings, I've done two or three and I'm, I'm gradually pulling together some more but one of them is a whole hour on fascial release. Um, you could easily get the hogs off Amazon or I sell them at a cheaper price than Amazon but they're only like 18 quid, it's no big deal um, it's, it's not, and they're very light, you can travel with them if you're in a team and you're going you know, to travel to somewhere, you can take them with you, it's, it's like a foam roller, it's not a big deal.
0: Mm. Um,
2: And the hog really, I think, is going to be something that would give sports people an edge. And also because they'll be high-driven, performance-based people that may be competitive, it'll be something that makes them feel like they're getting something out of it.
0: Um, And that that they've got something that no-one else has got. Yes,
2: it's special, a bit different. In fact, it's not really in studios and things. You know, there's a small group of Pilates teachers that are using the hog in classes, but it's not kind of on demand. You won't find... Um, it's a niche that I'm hoping to get into. You won't find much really? demand to do with the hog, so that's one thing. If somebody was, let's say, you're a sports person, and really important that your balance, that your body and your core are strong, and you're thinking, I don't know if my technique is very good. I really don't know if my core is strong. I don't know if I'm engaging it. I just whack a ball or hit, hit a ball or whatever, and, I'm, and I just do what I do. Then I've got a 21-day introduction to Pilates. And that, you find it in the on-demand section. It's only £40, and somebody can do, there's an introductory video. And the idea is that over 21 days, you follow a sequence of videos for 20 minutes a day. So they're short, sharp. You don't have to do them every day. You could do them every other day, but you'd get good benefit, 20 minutes a day. And you would learn the basics of Pilates. You'd learn the breathing. You'd learn to tune into your body. You'd learn the core strength. You'd learn, you'd develop some back strength. You'd develop some balance as opposed to imbalance in your posture and your body and so that's another possibility for people That if they are thinking well, I don't want to just jump in the deep end I need to know that I'm doing my technique right before I move on to more advanced stuff then that 21 day program would be something for people to try
0: yeah so really I remember up. about 20 years ago working with a, a, a you know a gym instructor a private uh, private class a one-on-one training and he was engage your core what 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 does that i didn't yep. even know what my core was let alone you know where it was <laughs> or how to engage it i mean it, it it was well hidden under a few layers anyway but <laughs> 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 but you know to you engage your core great if i knew what that meant that would be really helpful yeah. so yeah i think you know obviously more people do know now as you say lindsay but for being able to actually know what that means and how to find it and engage it and those sort of things yeah I think you know and that, we're in
2: a world fun. of really yeah. high contrast because even if you're a sports person you might do your training an hour a day or two hours a day you know whatever depends what level you're at doesn't it our son trains for six or seven hours a day but you, you're you're doing your training at however long a day but the rest of the day if you've got a day job and it's not a manual job or a physical job most of us spend far too long sitting down mm, yeah. so you might go and do your football, your rugby, your golf, your tennis, but if you're not doing something to help your skeleton and your fascia and your muscles to be balanced, then the majority of our time will be spent in an L shape. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So that
2: needs it... unraveling a little.
1: All right. Now, uh, I don't want you to unravel about missing your class. So we, it's we fine. must. We must let you go, but definitely from listening to what you're saying tonight, first of all, thank you very much for sparing the time. And equally, I'm sure Andy would agree, there's very good reasons why we could come back to you and further this conversation, but it's great to be able to do that. We haven't actually mentioned Mike at all in all of this. Mike, partner, husband? Yep, hubby. Hubby, yeah, and and he was a guest a few weeks ago. How's he doing with his injury? Uh,
2: Well, it's still not attached <laughs> his shoulder is still out of alignment and not attached but um uh it's it's less well it's not painful he's moving it pretty well it's just a bit wobbly so he's all right on his bike and he's all right running um he's all right doing bits of diy but it's swimming <laughs> it's still kind of just yeah mm-hmm. there's nothing much there to stabilize it so just got to wait and see really whether he needs surgery or whether he just sticks it out
1: All right. Well, lovely to have met you. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Andy would would join with me in saying really, really useful insight to a subject. And I think that last thing you're touching on where people get a chance to try in advance is a reason why people don't because they don't have that normally, you know, uh, and I just think breaking the ice and saying, rather than feeling completely out of it. I remember my first Pilates class and it was a room full of women and, and you're thinking. I'm going to look a right Muppet here because I've no idea. So it's got
0: nothing to do with the Pilates. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: But anyway, thank you for coming on tonight. And what you'll be able to do, we'll send you the link and send it to whoever you want, if it's valuable to you, but hopefully, and I'm absolutely sure we can find reasons why we'd want to get you back again. Well, so, thank you very, very much lovely. for the
2: opportunity to, to talk with people and share my, my goal, really, my outcome that I'd love is to inspire people to move their whole body. Yeah. You know, there's nothing quite as wonderful as feeling free in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And sport is wonderful, fitness is wonderful, but it can also be very repetitive. So I think move your whole body and really enjoy it. And that's where Pilates and yoga and things like that come in because it's mind, body, spirit, but you're moving everything.
1: Lindsay Jackson, thank you very much. We'll speak to you soon, definitely.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Lindsay. Take
1: care. Yes. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, that really is an insight to me and obviously demonstrates those years of experience that Lindsay has put into knowing what she knows and just hearing that in terms of the way she deals with her classes, I hope. Our dear listener is excited by that thought, and hopefully contacts will come Lindsay's way as a result. But very valuable, very valuable. Andy.
0: Yeah, I, I I loved that um whole conversation and you know, sort of learning some new things about you know the link mind, body, spirit, the whole combination. And uh yeah, I'm now and not just because I like bacon and uh, sausages, but I'm now going to be looking up this hog. I'm finding one of these. These sounded like a great way of uh, adding something different to uh, to my exercise regime.
1: Yeah, I I really like that idea. I think it's a smart move. Yeah. So that brings us to to the end of this uh, week's podcast. And clearly, as we always do say, make sure you're with us next week at a similar time and place to suit you. We now found 21 countries across the world where we go. So we don't always know where that is. But the reality is. Great that you're going to be with us on a weekly basis and the way you are making us your number one sports podcast. Contact details at the end of the podcast. Look forward to being with you next week, Andy. Take care, folks. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week. See you later.
0: Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on v at forthenow.co.uk.